Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Today we have these cultural streams that are so powerful that it's almost impossible to stand against them. But Booker T. Washington said these words, evil doesn't become good and wrong doesn't become right just because the majority believes it to be so. That's Dr. Erwin Lutzer, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family, sharing his thoughts about the rising challenges we have in today's culture. He has a lot to say in the conversation today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, at times it seems like the sky is falling, isn't it? Especially if you're listening to cable news. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. It just kind of preys on our anxiety. But our assurance, guess what, as Christians, is found in Christ. Nobody else, nothing else, no other circumstances. And we want to have a discussion uh, that is inspiring and hopeful, but also realistic about the times we're living in. Uh, it's kind of like the Bereans, you know, they knew the times that they were in, and they searched the scripture to know how to react in those times. And I'm looking forward to our discussion today. What does living for Christ mean in the culture that we're in? Dr. Lutzer has been a very well-responded-to guest by the listeners, mm-hmm. and I know you love his biblical perspective, and I'm looking forward to talking with Dr. Lutzer today. Yeah, he's a pastor emeritus at Moody Church in Chicago, where he served as senior pastor for 36 years. Dr. Lutzer has written a number of books. Uh, the one that forms the foundation for our conversation today is called No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Stop by the website to get your copy. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family. Dr. Lutzer, welcome back to Focus. We so love having you here. So great to be you with here. you, Jim. It's so God good to have you. you here. And how many years were you a pastor? I was pastor of Moody Church for 36 years. Oh. Previous to that, I was the pastor of a Baptist church in Chicago for five. So if you do the math, it would be over 40 years. Yeah, that's a, a great, great contribution to the body of Christ. Now, which one did you like better? No, don't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's just so good to see. And you have given so much deep thought. That's what I respect. Uh, your writings are so full of wisdom, and I sincerely mean that. I mean, a lot of people write at the surface level, but you really think about the things that we're going through as a culture. And I think your your books are the most profound right now about how Christians should behave in culture. It captures the right essence of Scripture, the right aroma for the non-believer, uh, you know, not to push them away, but to be truthful and loving and kind. That's a tough act to do, you know. It's hard to balance all those things. How do you go about doing that? Well, of course, that's a very important question, and perhaps there isn't one answer that fits all. But my burden, Jim, is to help the church think through all the pressure points that we are finding in society and in our culture. We have to remember that we did not go looking for a culture war. The culture came to us, and we have to respond to it, and there's no way that we can get out of responding to the culture. Because it used to be in America that Christians could live in what I call the mushy middle. You didn't have to declare yourself regarding your convictions, regarding the LGBTQ community, such things as multiple pronouns. But nowadays, 
It's very difficult to be in business. It's difficult to be in education or any other vocation unless you are a part of the cultural stream. So the question I have in mind, which is always in the back of my mind, is how do we as believers relate to this, always knowing that we lead with the gospel, but at the same time recognizing that we have to draw a line in the sand and say, we can do this, but we can't do that. We have to stand against the culture. Right, and it seems that's where uh, the rub is right now. Some churches are moving left. Some churches are moving more conservative. It's an interesting moment in church history, I think. And part of this, you're you're describing aptly. I mean, this idea that I was born in the 60s, so I kind of grew up in the decline, if I could call it that way. I think they removed Bible reading and prayer in the 60s from public schools. Think of that. I mean, I've, it's in my lifetime that that was taken out of school. One of the things I'm often puzzled by, especially with my experience as an orphan kid, I can remember people being more upset that somebody, a teacher, played a pivotal role in me coming to Christ. It's like they would have preferred I was on drugs and doing things that normal teenagers do. But the fact that you were led to God by a public school teacher, that's horrific. And by the way, I'm from the ACLU. I mean, isn't that bizarre that people are that into preventing someone from embracing God and having a life that actually is quite pleasant and lacking chaos and generally really healthy? Well, you know, if I might put it this way, The Bible talks about the fact, woe to those who call darkness light and light darkness. Well, it used to be, Jim, that darkness was optional. You know, you could go for darkness or you could go for light. But today, darkness is being imposed upon us. As a virtue. As a virtue. That's what's bizarre. Speaking to your point, in the schools, and I hope that we have an opportunity to talk about that because the people who are listening right now, many of them are wrestling with those kinds Mm -hmm. of issues. But it's so important for us to recognize that we have a new moment in American history. It's a different country. Mm -hmm. And the collapse that we see is happening so rapidly that it's almost impossible to keep up with it. And what we need to do is to say, okay, this is happening, but we have a firm foundation. You know, thinking about hurricanes, when a hurricane comes to an area, it blows most buildings away, as we well know. But isn't it interesting that some remain standing? And if you ask the question, why do some remain standing? I suspect the reason is because their foundation is very deep. And what we need today is Christians who have a very deep foundation in the faith who are willing to say, we will not compromise our conscience. Very critical. Now, Jim, you also raised another question, and you hurried over it, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You talked about the church. There are three different kinds of churches. There are churches that are complicit. They give the culture whatever the culture wants. Mm. Then there are those that are complacent. That is to say, they may not agree with the culture, but they will not speak to the culture. They simply live in a bubble, and the culture happens, and oftentimes their people are given no instruction as to how to encounter this culture. And then there are those that are courageous who have thought through what the issues are, who know where to draw the lines and to encourage their people to live for Christ no matter the cost. 
And that, I mean, that is well put. I'm thinking of pastors that I have met in places like San Francisco, uh, Seattle, and I, my hat is off to them because really what's happening, and it's to your point, there's no mushy metal now. You either are going to stand firmly for the Lord, not mean-spirited, not antagonistically, but you're going to stand on those principles of truth and what the Bible says over what any city government, state government, federal government is going to tell us. You stand firmly on those principles. And I've met several of those pastors that you can see the strength in them, even though they're living in geographic areas that are very anti-Christian now. And it's not only that, oftentimes what is happening in the legal system And it's not just standing against the culture as individuals, though of course we have to do that, and as churches, but also legally now we have tremendous challenges, as I've mentioned before, as darkness is being mandated. And so we have to fight this battle on multiple levels, culturally, legally, politically, and in all of these different ways. Mm. It is, again, really well said. The point in the book, though, that I want to draw out right here is that you see it as opportunity, that when the world looks dark, when the world looks like it's against us, that's usually the Lord sending us a note saying, hey, now's the time to shine. That's right. In the first chapter, I make the point, and I don't know who said it first, that darkness never recedes on its own. It only recedes when it is confronted by a greater power. And you and I know that that greater power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot push the darkness back apart from devotion to Christ. Now, having said all that, that doesn't mean that we will not have persecution, that we will not have to pay a price. But the early church taught us something, that persecution and marginalization, as we call it today, oftentimes positions us for a greater opportunity to witness. Mm. And maybe I'm ahead of where we're going, but I have to say that we as Americans have to rethink this whole business of persecution. You see, the average Christian thinks if the church were to be what it should be, we'd be able to sail through, we'd still have the American way of life, all of our freedoms would still be intact, But historically, that's not been the case. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, he said, For you it is given not only to believe on Christ, and we love that part of the verse, but also to suffer for his name. Mm. So we as Christians have to rethink our role in society, and we have to think of opposition as a badge of honor. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So we have to reorient ourselves to this new cultural moment that somehow tolerance goes only one way and not the other. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. 
It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Dr. Lutzer, I want to pick up on something. I guess we'll sprinkle hope in here along the way, if I could describe it like that. But in the book, you say the opportunity for believers is either surrender, sink, or swim. Describe that. Well, the reason I use that is because of John Kennedy. In World War II, he was on a boat that got torpedoed by the Japanese. And uh, the members of the boat, they had to swim to shore, and then he swam to another island to get help. Mm. So he was given a medal. And during the ceremony, he was asked, how did you become a hero? And he said, it was an involuntary decision. They (laughs) sank my boat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the point that I'm making is this. We have to respond, and how are we going to respond when our boat is being sunk, so to speak? Mm. We can either surrender to the enemy, we can either drown, or we can swim. And what we need today is heroes, even if they are heroes reluctantly, but we are being forced into a corner where we have no options. Now, interestingly, in the book that you are featuring today, at the end of every chapter, I give a hero— What I want people to do is to see that there are those who have stood against the culture with faithfulness. They have paid a price, but if you live in light of eternity, you soon discover that it is worth it all. Mm. You know, those torpedoes seem to be fast and furious against Christian education, Uh, you know, universities. I have good friends who are presidents. of universities, and we stay in touch with each other. I think because of housing issues and whether or not they provide accommodation to people that uh, don't behave in ways that suggest they have a deep faith in Christ that could be the LGBT community or others, um, they're really in the crosshairs of the culture, state governments, federal government. Speak to the... uh, kind of the situation of higher learning in Christian universities and colleges and the pressure that they're under. The pressure is enormous. I mention in the book a university that has filed a lawsuit against the federal government because the government is beginning to say that if we have equal rights for the trans community, you must be willing to accept them into the dormitories. Now, Jim, just think of this. We have three daughters. I'm speaking of Rebecca and me. Let us suppose that we send them to a Christian school and their roommate was born Bert, but now he claims to be Bernice. How would that make you feel? How would that make me feel? So that's what it's coming to. What we need to do is to understand that these schools are under tremendous pressure. And the ACLU has filed a lawsuit against Christian schools, including Moody Bible Institute, because they are saying that if they receive Pell Grants from the government, then they have to give these kinds of equal rights. So we must understand that colleges today are under tremendous pressure. 
and we need to pray for them. They need legal counsel, and we need to understand the reality of our times. Yeah, and I think, you know, unfortunately, I think the direction it's going to go is they got to get off the federal money, and the Christian yes. community is going right. to have to fund. Maybe they can't afford 150 Christian universities, but maybe 50, and do it well, and then we don't have to, uh, you know, kind of tap to the song the federal government is requiring of them right now. But that's a discussion for later. Uh, one of the areas which relates to universities is also just public schools. I mean, the damage being done to kids coming from Christian homes, but all homes, going into K through 12, and the indoctrination that's occurring and being exposed right now is quite amazing. I mean, you hear story night after night about uh kind of drag parties that they're doing explicitly sexual to fourth graders and fifth graders. I know a TV commentator, conservative, who said to me, where are the fathers? If you're sexually molesting a child, either physically or indoctrinating them in that direction, why aren't the dads pounding the doors down saying, what are you doing to my kids? Um, That's an interesting question. Why are we so quiet when these kids are being exposed to horrific things that it does hurt them. It harms them in their natural development. Jim, you have put it so well. And what we also need to do is to help parents to know how to respond to their children. One of the things I do in the book is I want to help parents respond. If a child comes home and says, you know, mom and dad, I think I'm trans. How do we answer that? Well, One of the things that the parents have to point out is this, that self-perception is oftentimes not a very accurate guide as to who you are. Especially at 12 and 13. Exactly. And, of course, they have guilt and depression because of what they're taught in schools. All of us at times have looked into the mirror and wondered where God was when we were put together. And so they are told, if you have an image problem, you're probably trans. Here's a young woman, just visualize it. She has anorexia. She looks into the mirror and thinks that she is overweight when in point of fact, she is starving herself to death. Self-perception is not an accurate guide alone to who you are. Mm. So what we need to do is to help them see they don't have a body problem, they have a mind problem. You know, Anne Rand, a spiritual problem, very much so. Anne Rand was not a friend of Christianity. But she said something very wise. She said, you can avoid reality, but you can't avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. Mm -hmm. So people today want to avoid reality, but the consequences come in. You know, one thing is true, and it certainly was true for me in my public school experience. There are wonderful Christian teachers in public school, and one of them led me to the Lord or certainly had a a big role to play in me coming to Christ. So we know you're out there, and we know you're doing a wonderful job for those kids. Um, Dr. Lutzer, um, everybody tends to look at World War II and Germany and what took place in Germany, but there are some valuable lessons out of that. When we talk about youth and indoctrination, I believe also you look at Soviet Union, Lenin and Stalin believe that as well. But Hitler and the other two uh, dictators believe that if you can control the youth, then you have the next generation. Is there some of that occurring right now? Absolutely. You think, for example, of Hitler who said, you know, you can clothe the child, you can take the child to school You can feed the child, but the soul will belong to the German Reich. 
The souls of our children today are being stolen, and it may not even be the culture out there. It may be the cell phone in your child's hand. Mm. The cell phone in your child's hand will do more to inform his or her worldview than an hour of church and an hour of Bible study. But to your point, one of my favorite topics that we probably will not be able to get into is propaganda. And I say that because I have studied Hitler. Hitler believed that if you have 100,000 people all chanting the same thing, unbelievers will either submit or they will be quiet. And today we have these cultural streams that are so powerful that it's almost impossible to stand against them. But Booker T. Washington said these words, evil doesn't become good and wrong doesn't become right just because the majority believes it to be so. Mm. So we need to keep that in mind. One other thing while I'm on the topic, you think, for example, of how Hitler camouflaged what he was doing. When he starved children, he called it putting them on a low-calorie diet. When he was killing the Jews, it was cleansing the land. Now, let's apply that to today. An abortion is health care. You believe in strong borders. You are a racist. You are opposed to same-sex marriage. Well, indeed, you are a bigot. So what we need to do is make sure that we understand what is being said in the news and in our culture when we're talking about these issues. Same words, different dictionary. Mm -hmm. Dr. Lutzer, in your book, you quoted a retired superior uh, judge, I think from North Carolina, um, Phil Jinn, who made a dire prediction about social workers. And we're seeing this come to pass in different states. And here's the thing in the current tech world, these stories get played. We hear about them when social services come to the door and knock and say, well, because you're not going to allow your 11-year-old to transition with puberty blockers and getting mastectomies at that age, we're going to take your children from you, put them in foster care, and give you uh, one hour a week to meet with them. That actually took place in Ohio, I believe. So these things we're hearing about, and you make a point of that through uh, Phil Jen, the former judge's observation. What did he say? What he said is that social service officers may come to your house under the conditions that you just outlined. So once again, parents need to be ready. Their faith needs to be strong. They need to be given wisdom by God as to how to respond. But they cannot throw their children to the wolves. And I would just shout to every parent listening today, God is going to hold you accountable for the education of your children. Now, you might loan them to a school to educate, but in the process, you have to keep in touch with that school. You have to know what the child is being taught because God is going to say, I loaned these children to you, and how have you trained them? Mm critical question. Yeah. And again, I'd say get involved, be part of the school board, uh, get engaged, you know what's being taught in the school. Those are minimal requirements, in my opinion, today. We're right at the end. Uh, we've talked about a lot of heavy topics today, and I want to come back next time if you'll stick with us and we'll do day two. But speak about hope. Here we are. The Lord chose us to be in this generation. There's a lot coming down on us. Lord, Lord, what's the hope that we have? I want to give you an illustration. At the Moody Church, we had a young pastor and his wife, and they were having their first child. And uh, 
she was taken into the delivery room, of course, and suddenly the young father, who was also in the delivery room, noticed that there was panic in the delivery room. The reason is because the little baby, she was actually caught in the birth canal. And a doctor came over to this young man in his fear, in his panic, looked him square in the eye and said this, in a moment, this room is going to be filled with 20 people. There's going to be a lot of buzz, but you relax because we've been here before. We know what we are doing and everything is going to be okay. Mm. Now, you can watch CNN from early in the morning till late at night. You can watch Fox News from early in the morning until late at night, and it will not feed your soul. We need to watch these channels to know what is going on in the world, but I urge everyone who is listening, take time to hear the voice of God, because you are going to be controlled by the voice that you listen to. Go to the Word of God. Remind yourself of how this story is going to end. The fact that God rules, and despite all that is happening in the world, God has at least two words for us, namely, number one, I know what I am doing, and in the end, everything is going to be okay. And one other word, Remember this, the only thing that really matters is that which matters for all eternity. And that is a great place to end and uplifting. Uh, Dr. Lutzer, thank you for being with us. We'll come back next time. For the listener and the viewer, what a great resource. No reason to hide. It's real encouragement to us as Christians to be bold in our faith, to be honest, to be truthful, and yet compassionate, understanding. Our hearts do go out for those who are confused sexually. Uh, you know, we believe as Christians what they need is that encounter with Christ to begin to uh, show them their true identity made in his image. And we all strive for that. And we all fail in that pursuit at times. And what a great reminder, Dr. Lutzer. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Jim. Uh, get a copy. Make a donation to Focus. Be part of the ministry. Help us to help families. And uh, if you can do that on a monthly basis or a one-time gift, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Lutzer's book as our way of saying thank you for participating in ministry with us. Join the support team today and request your copy of No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And we've got copies of that and your opportunity to donate at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. Uh, join us next time as we continue the conversation with Dr. Lutzer and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. 
We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. We've thought wrongly about persecution. We need to accept it, not in anger, but as a privilege. And then we have to ask ourselves, are we training our children with those kinds of values? Or are we going to give the culture whatever the culture wants? That's Dr. Erwin Lutzer talking about the challenging times we're living in and our responsibilities and opportunities as believers to represent Christ in our culture. Thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, we're going to continue a great conversation, I felt, uh, that we had yesterday. And we're going to continue to talk about the culture, about the Christian's uh, requirement to live in this culture and how to express ourselves. And I thought it was good. If uh, you missed it last time, get the download, uh, download the app, Focus on the Family app, and you can listen that way. But what a tremendous conversation, wide ranging topics of mm-hmm. LGBTQ and schools and universities and businesses and the things that kind of the woke culture is trying to put on us right now and how to how to defend those things that we believe in in a way that uplifts God's character at the same time. Uh, there's a scripture I think it's fitting uh, for our discussion. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, when we are cursed, we bless. That doesn't go mm-hmm. down well with the flesh, does it? <laughs> but when we're cursed, yeah. we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. And it goes on to say that the world considers us like garbage. I mean, that's what the word says. And that's what the early church was dealing with. And uh, we generally in the Western Hemisphere, is, we've had a pretty good run uh, where Christianity has been deeply respected. It's been the foundation for expansion and great uh, human flourishing, which is what the Lord provides when we pursue him. But now it's under siege, and mm. people don't like it, and it divides, supposedly. And we're going to talk today with one of our great guests, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who's written a wonderful book called No Reason to Hide. I love it. It's like, what? Don't hide. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a great discussion. I agree, Jim. And yesterday had such fantastic insights from Dr. Lutzer. And I should note, we have the book here, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Uh, call us today for your copy. It's 800, the letter A in the word family, or uh, stop by the website. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Dr. Lutzer, welcome back. So great to be with you again, Jim. You know, it's interesting. I just, you know, we talk marriage parenting. Those are core, core things that we do here at Focus on the Family. But cultural things, I, I mean, there's an electricity to it that we, it's survival. You know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do it well? What is the Lord going to take us through? Uh, there's a lot in this area of culture that we don't often get an opportunity to talk about, and especially with somebody who is well-versed in it like you are, the theological underpinnings of how we should see the world as believers. So thank you for all those years of learning and putting it down passionately in this book and other books that you've written about. Let me let me begin here with an illustration that you shared uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a World War II figure. He was killed, I think it was just three days before the end of the war, but he was Hitler's number one target. Of course, he participated in a plan to try to uh, assassinate Hitler. 
and Hitler had him killed right at the end of the war, which was so tragic. A great theologian, but um, in some ways it describes today's culture as he shared about being passengers on a train, and you captured that. Describe what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was getting at, and how does that apply to us today? What he was saying is if you're on the wrong train, it doesn't really matter whether or not you walk through the cars and come to the front or, as far as that's concerned, go to the back of the train because eventually that train is going to arrive at the station. What he was trying to say is that under Nazism, Germany was on the wrong train and we, in effect, have to get off that train. And what he said was this, that we should put spokes in the wheel and we should stop what is happening. And of course, originally he was a pacifist, but then he changed his mind, believed that things in Germany were so terrible that Hitler had to be assassinated. So he joined the community that was trying to put an end to Hitler's reign. Mm. The interesting thing, and I can't help but mention this, is when he was hung in Flossenburg, the doctor that was there to make sure that he was hung and to be there to verify what happened said that he had never seen anyone die with such tranquility. Mm. Before he went to the gallows, he knelt down and said, Oh God, this is the end, but for me it is the beginning. And so he died. His body was never found, But, of course, his writings continue on, and they remind us of the fact that it is so important to stand against the culture. While I'm on the topic, Jim, because this relates to what is happening in our woke culture, during the Nazi period, there were many churches that put up a swastika in their church and perhaps on their church door. What they were saying is, when you come for the Christians, don't come for us because we are on your side. Today... There are people who will put up various signs and so forth to make sure that people understand we're on board with the woke culture and don't come for us because we are exempt. Mm. And what Christians need to do is to have the courage to stand against the culture and to make sure that their commitment to Jesus Christ remains strong. I pulled this from a book that, uh, ironically, Gene was reading this morning as I was reading the prep and reading your book uh, early this morning, and she came to this quote and read it to me. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1937. Let me just read this and get your reaction. He said, The messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the divisions which rend cities and homes. Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining the family and for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. The disciples will be sorely tempted to desert their Lord. But the end is also near, and they must hold on and persevere until it comes. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 1937, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. That could be written today. You know, I read The Cost of Discipleship many years ago, but I didn't remember that quote. What a prophecy (laughs) as to where we are today, Yeah, that the disciples of Jesus Christ would be blamed for all of the problems. The reason that we admire Bonhoeffer is that he understood 
that it is not possible to give allegiance to the Nazi regime, the nationalism that was rife in Germany, and at the same time say that you are following Jesus Christ. What he was doing is forcing the church to face this. Are we going to bow at the altar of Nazism and nationalism, or are we going to bow at the altar of Jesus Christ? We cannot do both. And in the end, of course, he showed his own courage and his own understanding. But, you know, Jim, when you began this program, you mentioned that the church oftentimes has had to stand against the culture. I want to underline that. The church has always been an island of righteousness in a sea of paganism. When you read the New Testament, you read exactly what Bonhoeffer said, namely that the church was always up against a culture that was hostile to it. And to all who are listening today, I would say this, that when you look at the culture, thank God for the opportunity to live today and to simply ask yourself, how can I represent Christ best through the stands that I take, through my convictions and my witness? So true. So true. And again, I I think I'm wanting to cover this topic because people need some direction. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty within the church. And what do we do? And how do we respond? And can we raise our heads up? And can we speak what we believe? And that's becoming more and more difficult because of the current. I think it was Chesterton who said, uh, you know, that the, the culture is like a current of a river and dead things float downstream, but living things go upstream. Wow, that's a profound statement, especially in the spiritual domain that we are born again in Christ. We are living in Christ, and that's why we're fighting upstream. We're moving upstream, why dead things are moving downstream. What an awesome quote. Yeah. That's exactly where we are at. Yeah. You know, to your point about tolerance today, we hear so much about tolerance. You know that today in the culture, tolerance actually means dominance. And in our universities today, there is such an emphasis on conformity. Let me give you an illustration that actually occurs in my book when I talk about the idea of uh, propaganda. There are universities today that have banned words. (laughs) One of them has, you know, you can't use the word policeman, you can't use the word freshman, you can't use the word victim even. And then it says this, If there's a barbershop in your area, don't say that he doesn't take in walk-ins because you might offend those that can't walk, who are in wheelchairs. Now, let's back off and ask ourselves a question. What's going on there? The intention is not to elevate the conversation. The intention is to silence the conversation. You have no idea what is proper to say. You have no idea of what is proper You don't know whether or not you can go into a restaurant and ask for a menu, (laughs) you know, or uh, can a woman get a manicure? You're not supposed to use the word master. Well, is it okay to say that someone mastered the subject? That's why surveys indicate that most conservative students in our universities self-censor themselves. Mm. This is to your point about being silent in the midst of these cultural streams. Yeah. Um, We're seeing the woke culture creep into churches, of course. 
And we're troubled by that uh, because we need to stand gently for truth. In your book, you shared quotes from, an, I think, an article that was in the Washington Post that really does illustrate the problem. Some pastors in Indiana. What took place and uh, what was the issue? The issue was this. This has to do with deconstruction. You know, Jim, nobody backslides today. People just deconstruct mm-hmm. their faith. Right. It's a term that I didn't hear except perhaps in the last 10 years. So here's this group meeting in Indiana, and what they want to do is to form a new woke kind of church that accepts the LGBTQ lifestyle and that is more inclusive. And what you have in those contexts, of course, is a very false view of love. Mm. Perhaps I've said this before, but I want to say it with clarity. Love can be evil. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they didn't stop loving. They just started to love the wrong things. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of self. So this idea, well, love is love, is so wrong because it can be interpreted in wrong ways. So here you have a church that wants to be woke. It wants to be in line with the culture and basically give the culture everything that the culture wants. What's lost, of course, is the gospel. Because the gospel offends people. There is such a thing as the offense of the cross. And if we lose the gospel and we lose a biblical framework of Christian living, we really are no longer a church, even though the word church may be on our door. Hmm. Let me let me ask you this, because I think the difficulty I have pastoral friends who would fit that description. I have friendships in the LGBT community. I care about them. I pray for them. Gene and I both pray for them. We want to see them drawing toward Christ, toward a commitment for Christ. And that's the right thing. We have to be involved in the world. I think it was Paul who said, you can't take yourself out of the world. We're going to be around people that need to know the Lord. So how do we maintain that balance? Um, You know, we want churches to be accepting. We want churches to embrace people to come and hear the gospel, especially those that need to hear it and affirm it and embrace Christ as their Savior. That's a good thing. I want to be able to pull out of you that difference where we're not talking about being mean toward anybody. The Lord wasn't mean toward sinners. He was mean toward religious people, I think. He He was trying to prove a point. He was aggressive Uh, But in that context, make that delineation so people are hearing you quite clearly what it means to stand for truth. It doesn't mean you're a fist in the face of the center. Let me put it to you in a single sentence. We have to be welcoming without being affirming. Mm -hmm. And something else that's incredibly important, first of all, listening, nobody will hear us until we have heard them. Very important point. Also, humility. You know, when I preached on same-sex marriage at Moody Church, I gave two sermons on it. Even those who struggled with same-sex relationships came to me later and said, we disagree with you, but we appreciate the attitude with which you preached it. Mm. If we come across as judgmental, if we come across as simply finger-pointing, we will drive them away And what we need to do is to understand the words of Jesus that are so critical. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. 
This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You know, we both have traveled internationally. I've been so enriched by stories that I've heard from persecuted Christians in China, in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, other places. Uh, Incredible stories of courage, things that we need to know and learn from as we go into our cultural battles. But you had a story in the book about, uh, I think, a family who endured incredible suffering in China. What happened and what was their outcome? Yes, it's the story really of Daniel Wong, who became a teacher at Masters University as well as elsewhere. His father worked in China for next to nothing. He'd have gotten a promotion if he had denied his faith in Christ, but he didn't. One day when Daniel was seven, his father took him aside and said to him, you know, I'm going to be taken to prison, but you remain strong in the faith. And then later on, his mother was taken to prison. And uh, the authorities came looking for a Bible in their home. They couldn't find it, so they smashed the home. And later on, his dad had one request. He wanted to see his wife for the last time. They allowed him to go to the prison where she was, but he was not allowed to go into the prison. So he walked around the prison singing hymns, hoping that she would be able to hear him. Now, through the providence of God, eventually they were freed. They came to America. They helped establish Chinese churches. But here's the point that is so critical. They were faithful to Christ, and God gave them the grace that they needed at the very time when they needed it. And you know, God gives grace. He sometimes doesn't give grace ahead of time. But when we really need it, You know, the Bible talks about grace in the time of need. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, as Christians, uh, we need to respond to trials and temptations differently from the world. We're we're not working with the tools that the world would use. I had somebody once tell me, if we use the tools of the dark side, we don't use them very effectively, so why use them? We're not good at it as Christians, which is humorous. But on the other hand, we do know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, mercy, kindness, to which many think, man, those aren't very good weapons, but it's exactly what the Lord used. How do we um, live in the world but not of it while thinking of the next world to come? Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, let me use an illustration. Actually, the church is to be in the world as a ship is in the ocean, but when the ocean gets into the ship— the ship is in deep trouble. Mm. So you're absolutely right. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. And doing that throughout church history has been very difficult. But here's again where I want to emphasize the long-range view of life. I was in East Germany a number of years ago, and a pastor told me, under communism, 
only 15% of the Christians refused to bow to the communist agenda. They were told, that is, the people were told, if you don't go to church, if you renounce your faith, you'll get a better job and your children will be able to go to school. 15% says, we will not bow. The others submitted. Now, you know, your children not going to school, having a very bad job rather than a promotion, that's very serious. But let's step back and ask ourselves, in a hundred years, which family made the best choice? Hmm. Despite all those hardships, there are marvelous stories of how God took care of them, gave them grace to go through it, because we indeed do live for another world. And as we're winding in, I mean, we've got to cover some of those practical steps that we should take as adults, as parents, as sons and daughters of the older generation, perhaps. What are some of the practical things that we can do right now as believers in Christ to live in this culture? Well, first of all, what we have to do is to make sure that our own faith in Jesus Christ is solid, that we have come to know him as Savior and Lord. We must be in the Word of God. You know, Jesus gave that illustration about the house that was blown away and the house that stood, and he did that to help people to understand that the foundation is absolutely critical. But more than that, we need to change our mindset. We need to think about the fact that we've thought wrongly about persecution. We need to accept it, not in anger, but as a privilege, And then we have to ask ourselves, are we training our children with those kinds of values? Or are we going to give the culture whatever the culture wants? And of course, critical to this, and I'm sure you've dealt with this on Focus many, many times, has to do with the realm of social media, which is so powerful in its uh, cultural streams that we need to help our children to stand against this. Of course, there can be rules in the home and so forth. But then also, families should attend church. Mm. And I don't want to get into too much controversy here, but sitting Sunday morning in your pajamas with a cup of coffee, watching a church service, is not really attending church. I know that we did that during the pandemic, and we can understand all that. But there has to be the power of the body. There's something about Christian commitment. When one of your children goes to university, he will probably not be talked out of his faith. He'll probably be tempted to be mocked out of his faith. And the most important decision he can make is this. When I wake up on Sunday, am I going to go to a church that preaches the gospel, find Christian fellowship, or will I not? You know, let's land with a story. Uh, It actually occurred here in Colorado Springs at Garden of the Gods, and it's a family that was hiking there. How did that illustration strike you? You know, David Bryant sent this story to me, and I included in the epilogue of my book. Here at the Garden of the Gods, now we are here in Colorado, and you folks understand exactly what I'm trying to describe this beautiful area with high mountains and trails and places that you can climb to. There was a father who made it to the top. His daughter was behind him, and at some point she froze. She was so afraid. 
And now the question is what to do. She was on a very narrow trail, and he gave her three instructions. The first is this, don't look around, look only at me, and keep walking. In this world, we should look around in the sense that we know what is going on. But what does the Bible say in the book of Hebrews? Looking to Christ, who is running the race, we look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did that for the glory of God and for our salvation. So to the person out there who is struggling, remember this, look to me, look to Jesus, don't look around, don't take your theology from the world, and keep walking one step at a time. And the good news is his daughter made it safely to the top. And I trust that all who are listening right now will make it safely all the way home. Hmm. Time is but a sliver in terms of all of eternity, and we need to emphasize that we live with eternity in mind. Yeah, that's so good. In fact, that language uh, it really caught my attention to glance at the culture, but gaze on Jesus. And, you know, it was a little bit convicting for me because I think at times I can, I can gaze on the culture and glance at Jesus. And I need to keep that in mind to keep those right. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for the privilege. This has been so good. I hope you're catching it. And, you know, the goal here at Focus is really to equip you to do the job you need to do as a believer and then also as a spouse, as a parent, and to help train up your kids in the way they should go. And this is one of those great resources, Dr. Lutzer's book, No Reason to Hide. It will empower you as a parent, particularly, to help talk to your children about what's important in this life, what will be the most important thing 100 years from now, the fact that you're in heaven together, and uh, we need to keep that thing the main thing. Uh, get a hold of us. We're here to help you in any way we can, certainly by putting Dr. Lutzer's book into your hands. If you can uh, support the ministry monthly, that's great. A one-time gift is good, too. And we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you for doing ministry with us. If you can't afford it, we are a Christian ministry. We want to get this resource into your hands. And just let us know that right now you can't afford it, and we'll trust that others will take care of the cost. Yeah, we're grateful to the donor community for sustaining this ministry and making it possible for us to offer help. Donate today and get Dr. Lutzer's terrific book, No Reason to Hide, when you call 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And this note that we have a lot of additional content to share on the download and the CD uh, that you can get through the links uh, from this interview. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Christ.